Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to bring you another episode of our podcast where we discuss soccer at all different levels with some of the most interesting, accomplished, and influential personalities in the region. This podcast will always strive to be inspiring, insightful, and informative. We've got a great guest for you today, as I'll be joined via Zoom by Ruben Burke, who is the head coach of the Connecticut College men's soccer team. Last fall, Ruben helped Connecticut College make history as the program won its first ever Division III national championship. The Camels defeated NESCAC rival Amherst in the national championship game in dramatic fashion. They won a penalty kick shootout on December 4th in Greensboro, North Carolina. A native of Westford, Massachusetts, Ruben played his college soccer at Hobart College before graduating from the school in 2013. 2022 will mark his fourth season at the helm for Connecticut College, and his career record is an impressive 33-8-4. We'll dive deeper into that run to a national championship and how Connecticut College turned into a national contender, what the recruiting mentality is for a Division III coach in New England, and what 2022 might have in store for the Camels. Before we get to the interview, I'll quickly share the ways in which you can engage with New England Soccer Journal's platform. To check out all of the latest content from our staff at New England Soccer Journal, visit anysoccerjournal.com. The January-February edition of New England Soccer Journal magazine is now available. Get that edition mailed to your home or office by clicking the subscribe tab at the top of anysoccerjournal.com. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Here's Ruben Burke, who is joining us via Zoom. Ruben, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time and joining our podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thank, thanks for inviting me, Matt. Uh, my pleasure. Looking forward to uh, chatting. Absolutely. It's, it's a long time coming. I think we've been wanting to, I, I've been wanting to have you on, um, obviously, since uh, last season ended last fall season. Uh, it's been three months, um, about three months since you guys won that national championship. Has it still quite set in that uh, you're a national champion and Connecticut College is a national champion? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's, it's sat in and, uh, you know, there are things going on, on, on campus, like, um, celebrations and, and different types of events. But I think, uh, me and, uh, my fellow assistant, uh, Andrew, we've both, we've, we've both kind of moved forward. And if you, if you stand still, you get, uh, bypassed by your competitors. So, it's sat in and, and we're trying to keep the um, wheel spinning, if you will. So I was down there in Greensboro and, you know, I saw every minute of those, of those two matches and, and they were mm. both riveting, you know, incredible matches. Um, the game against Amherst, that was just absolute, you know, edge of your seat drama for me watching as a yeah. spectator. I can't imagine what it was like for you as a coach. Um, take us through that game, just the, the highs and lows of that national championship game against Amherst. Sure. Sure. In the national championship, um, it's, t- it's, it's tough, right? Because it's, uh, everyone is so emotionally invested. Um, and, and you really need to try to remember what got you there and, and what your identity is and what your specific game plan is for the game. So 
that's that's a battle in itself is not getting caught up in in the hype um and just playing playing your game and giving yourself the best chance of success at the same time as a program we we had never been there before so we kind of wanted to soak it in and uh enjoy the moment and, and enjoy each other's company while while being there um but yeah, the game in itself was was a huge roller coaster. You know, Amherst was probably the better team for the majority of the first half in terms of uh, creating chances and, and being the team most likely to score. Our team showed great resolve in, in not conceding and in, in getting through the half 0-0. You, you go into the new half and it's almost like a new game, if you will. I think our steadfast or steadfast, resolute defending in the first half bred more confidence for the guys, and, and they realized they had it in them to to try to get the shutout. And um, and then yeah, more you know more chances started to open up in the second half, and we started to get a better grip of the game. You know, typical final in the sense that it defined by very small margins. I mean, the, you know, set piece from both teams is what, what gave them a goal and then PKs. So yeah, I mean, the best way to describe it for sure is a roller coaster. And I think both teams certainly had their moments in different parts of the game. And uh, I think looking back, uh, it was pretty significant that we didn't concede early on. Uh, I think that was one of the major keys. Yeah. The resolve that the team showed in that, in that game was, was pretty incredible. Um, Particularly, you know, Amherst struck on kind of a, a, a fluky goal, if I, if I recall. And, you know, that was Saturday. The night before, you had an overtime match against Washington and Lee. So it wasn't like, I mean, you played a lot of soccer over a two-day span, a lot of crunch time, drama-filled soccer. Um, when you woke up Saturday morning and realized you had a national championship game that night after an overtime game, what was the mindset there? We were lucky enough, fortunate enough to play first in my opinion, because then we could go back to the hotel as a team. We set up a projector or a large TV and we watched the Amherst uh, Chicago game. We took notes, we made clips, you know, the preparation was already beginning. You know, I think to be fair, probably Amherst and us knew each other very well um, just from being NESCAC opponents so it wasn't like we had to rewrite the book on on how to approach the game. Uh, but yeah, the preparation started to take place before we went to sleep. And then you start to prepare the player's mindset and um, have a schedule. So they're not <laughs> milling around the hotel. They, you know, they have stuff to keep them busy and, and relaxed and, and focused on the game. So, you know, you just you just want to do everything that you can to give your team the best chance to win. Um, you want the players to, to feel confident and you want them to feel relaxed. So, you know, that, that was the whole approach on Saturday. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a bit of a bummer that, you know, um, they squeeze as much soccer into 48 hours as, as possible when, when really a game of that magnitude, two of the best, two of the better teams in the country, from a neutral perspective, I would imagine you would want to watch them be playing at a hundred percent. So I think as a coaching body, that's something that 
we're all looking at and, and advocating for is more of a rest period to allow the players to play at a, an even better level or a higher performance level. So most of the people I talked to down in Greensboro, you know, when I asked them, Oh, when are you flying back to new England? Most people had an early morning Sunday, yeah. Sunday flight back. I know I did. I think my flight was at like 7am. So I was, you know, at the Greensboro airport at like four 30 or whatnot. I assume you guys may have had an early flight too, but I got to imagine emotions must've been running high. What was that flight home like? And what was the arrival back on campus? Like, yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was surreal. Uh, you know, that's probably the best, best way to describe it. I don't think anyone slept. So again, it was a night game against Amherst. So we probably got back to the hotel 11 PM. We probably weren't on your flight, but, but, uh, a similar one, I think we were at, um, six 30 or 7 AM as well. And, um, you know, we, we left for the airport around 4 a.m., 4.30. So the team, the, the guys are just, you know, on cloud nine celebrating its euphoria, uh, reminiscing the, the game against Washington Lee, reminiscing um, the game against Amherst, the plays that happened, the PKs. Um, and, and when you get back to the hotel, uh, at 11 p.m., you know, all the parents are there, so you're sharing the experience with them. The alumni are there, so you're sharing the experience with them. And, um, and yeah, it's definitely going to be a memory that will last a lifetime for, for myself, you know, for our assistant and for all the players. When we got back to campus, um, I suppose the, the euphoria didn't stop. Um, you know, you had the majority of the Connecticut College uh, varsity teams waiting for us had a large, large number of um, the students, the student body there. We had faculty there, and we went we went to the campus quad, put the trophy down. Varsity athletes, a lot of people took photos with the team with the trophy. They had a microphone, so so our captains, Steve Jonas, Lorenzo Bocchetti, Aiden Scales, they they thanked everyone for the support throughout the tournament. Um, it was a great, you know, it was a great 45 minutes hour of coming together and and um because I I, you know, from from being down in Greensboro, obviously not on campus, what we learned when we were there is, you know, the whole the whole student body was glued to the TV and in their laptops following us. I think there are big celebrations on campus as well. So it's kind of like a, a finally a coming back home and, and everyone finally get to be together because they were they they stayed up here and, and we were down there. And yeah, it was it was a great celebration. First national championship for the program, obviously. So that's historic in and of itself. How did Connecticut College get to a place where it's at now? Um, becoming a legitimate national contender in Division Three. I mean, there's a lot of Division Three programs in the country. You're now in that upper echelon. In what ways have you personally seen the program develop over the years? Many, many, many years of sustained hard work, resilience, belief, and, and if you want a one-word answer, um, culture. I think, you know, when Coach um, Ken Murphy got here, you know, a long time ago. Um, and I was, again, fortunate enough to be his assistant and, and I learned from him. I think one of the things that he really brought to the table and, and never let go of was of building and molding a highly competitive um, culture. And, and 
what goes into that is, you know, a lot of work both on the field in terms of, you know, what you expect and your standards and what you demand from your players and kind of the vision of how you want your team to act and, and behave, but also off the field in terms of the off-season work ethic and the core values that the program stands for, academic and social uh, responsibility. So I think it's it's been a long time. Nothing, nothing good happens overnight. And I think, um, you know, the national championship can certainly be traced back to when Murph first took over the program and incrementally chipped away, chipped away, kept building on the vision. It worked out well. The proof is in the pudding that, you know, um, an assistant, if, if he has a good relationship with the head coach, can carry over um, the previous vision. There's obviously stuff that I added to the program in, in terms of style of play or in terms of, you know, how I want to structure the team. But for the most part, what we wanted Connecticut College to stand for and, and what we thought was achievable at this school was built upon for, for over 10 years. And um, but yeah, at the at the end of the day, too, like <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't be leaving this podcast without saying you need luck. For sure. I mean, we beat Salem State in PKs. You know, I don't know, you know, who knows on a different day what the Tufts result would have been. Again, in Washington Lee, the kid on Washington Lee kicks the ball away. So he gets a red card. Do we beat them if we're not a man up? So a lot of it has to do with culture and in continuing to get better, constant improvement. You know, regardless of what you did last season, keep building on the vision keep molding the team and, and keep setting the standards very high. Um, but at the same time, you know, we were able to be national championship because, because luck was in our favor and, and things worked out. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure if that's a good answer, but, but I'd say a combination of culture and luck for sure. No, that's a great answer. And I, I think you encapsulate everything that goes into it. One remarkable thing is the program competes in the NESCAC, which is undoubtedly, uh, you can't argue it's the best Division Three league in the country. And it's, it's certainly not hyperbole when you factor in that six of the last seven national champions have come from the NESCAC. Um, you know, you had Tufts with, with four, I believe, and um, Amherst and, and you guys with one just in recent memory. I would think the fact that all the schools are kind of located in that New England footprint it creates some recruiting battles. You guys kind of all have similar identities as, as universities and schools or high academic institutions with, with good athletic programs. What are the recruiting battles like when you're uh, you know trying to win over a recruit that maybe Amherst or Tufts or, or Hamilton's trying to also win over? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's all too often a, a common occurrence. The other coaches in the NESCAC are, are some of the best coaches in the country. So they're very good recruiters in that sense, and, and they can spot talent and really sell their programs well. So it's it's not easy. I suppose what I've tried to do is diversify the team geographically, and a large chunk of our kids on our team are still from New England, but you want to find kids that um, you're not going up against several or, or many of the other NESCACs, and to be fair, it probably makes things slightly easier. So from my personal experience, like I've, I've had the fortune to coach Division One and Division Two, and I've, 
I've made some connections and, you know, I've used those connections to, to look different parts of the country, to look international. The great thing about New England prep schools is their rosters are very diverse. They have kids from everywhere. So we've had international kids from the New England prep schools. I think what I've tried to do is limit, limit the number of battles that our program has going against other NESCAC schools for the same kids. Um, you know, as a recruiter, I try to turn over every rock and, you know, whether it's high school soccer or MLS next or ECNL or nationally, you know, you try to, you know, look through as many avenues as possible. And I think if you work hard enough, if you, if you extend yourself far enough, you'll have different enough options where where you're not constantly battling the other NESCAC schools uh, for the same recruit, if that makes sense. Sure. And, you know, for those who have not watched maybe a lot of Division Three soccer, you know, there, there's often a stigma. Athletes want to play Division One. Maybe a, a player might look at it as a personal defeat when they if they can't play Division One and they're playing Division Three. But Division Three soccer in New England is a high quality, top notch brand of soccer. How do you determine who to recruit, especially when it comes to finding those players who could easily be viewed as division one type talents? How do you kind of try to sell them on that division three pathway? Yeah, I think for me, the first thing that you have to identify in a recruit is character. Would they fit in amongst your teammates? Would they fit in and be part of the group? You know, the things that I look for are in, in terms of character is, you know, work ethic, passion for the game, responsible, punctual. And I think, you know, you look for kids that are high character kids and, and that would want to go to a school like Connecticut College for, for the right reasons. And the second thing is, would they fit into the school academically? You know that you don't want to take too many punts on on recruits that don't show the academic integrity uh, for what it takes for a NESCAC school because that you know that'll lead to melt and and not not your full recruiting classes coming through every year. So um, so yeah, certainly character, um, academics, and then I look for footballers, not not necessarily just athletes. I think athleticism complements the decision making and, um, you know, the IQ, the game awareness, the understanding of a player. So I look for players that know their position well, uh, can execute their position within a team really well. They're comfortable on the ball. They're brave on the ball. They, They want the ball. They can use both feet. They have a good understanding of, of space. Their decision-making on the ball is, is brave, but intelligent and, and calculated. We want athletes. We want guys that are fast. We want guys that are strong. Um, but for me, athleticism complements who you are as a footballer. And so, yeah, I think, you know, probably to be fair, we have one of the smaller NESCAC teams, but it all goes back to What's your vision of your team in terms of how do you want your team to play? And if you want your team to dominate the ball and, and break teams down and create chances through using possession, then it might not necessarily be a need to have the biggest, 
most physical players out there. So for me, yeah, it, it all starts with character, um, academics, and and then what do they bring to the table in terms of their footballing ability. New England's soccer journal's The Goal will return after this. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. What does it take to become a champion? Teamwork, talent, grit, and above all, opportunity. Husak Elite Soccer has all that and more. Let's go, let's go! Husak School is located in beautiful Husak, New York, right on the edge of New England. And Husak students don't just dominate on the field, they dominate in the classroom. Students at Husak benefit from a rigorous academic program, expert instruction from an amazing faculty and staff, fine and performing arts, championship athletics, and the once-in-a-lifetime experience that comes from a student body of over 200 students from more than 40 different countries. Soccer teams practice. Elite soccer teams train. Husak Elite Soccer. Isn't it time you went from good to elite? more information, check out HUSAC.org. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and NESoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to AnySoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division one, two, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to AnySoccerJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Now, you were a Division Three player, right? You played at Hobart? Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to players about, about choosing that pathway? What, what sticks out to you as the biggest positives from that experience? I mean, because there's still so much commitment and so much... Um, dedication you have to give to the sport at that level that, um, you know, maybe some players aren't willing to give, but what do you, uh, how fondly do you recall that experience? I can't say enough about my four years at Hobart. Um, I, on a weekly basis, I still talk to Sean Griffin, the head coach there who I played for. You know, the biggest selling point is you get a really, really rewarding, memorable four-year experience. Um, 
If you look at the transfer portal in Division One, I, I think the evidence is there that it's not always a four-year experience because there's a lot of transfers nowadays. And not to say that there aren't transfers at Division Three, but but what I'm saying is it can be a four-year experience where it's really rewarding both off the field academically and and on the field, to your point, soccer-wise, because Division Three does offer a high level of play. It's very competitive. You are playing against some very good players across across the country and nowadays international. I think you get challenged both as a student and as an athlete. And, and at Division Three, I think you really grow. You really grow as a person on the field and off the field. And I want... I wouldn't dissuade anyone uh, from looking at Division Three because there's a lot of good options out there. And, and to my point, it can be just just as, if not uh, a re- as a rewarding four-year experience as Division One. How much of an impact does the transfer portal, positively and negatively, have on the construction of your roster right now? In terms of Connecticut College, yeah, pretty, pretty minimally. Um, we had one transfer from Providence College, Ben Ludwig, who has now graduated. I think it's I think it's still difficult for a school like Connecticut College, um, and and currently uh, since Ben has graduated, we do, we don't have any uh, transfers on our team. How's the roster shaping up for the twenty twenty two season? Um, do you guys have a big income, incoming freshman class coming in, or what's kind of the the breakdown there? Yeah, so we have we have um, the roster is looking relatively similar, which I think again is depends on how you look at it. Can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. We graduate three players, um, two captains, Aiden Scales and Lorenzo Bocchetti, and then our forward MT Tashuma. We only lose three guys, and we're bringing in a recruiting class of ten. So obviously, we'll have a bigger roster. Uh, this upcoming fall than we did this previous year, but we have uh, a handful of juniors, current juniors who will be seniors next fall who did uh, a COVID repeat year. I tried to be preemptive and and started to bring in a larger class this year because when we lose a lot of seniors next fall, um, I didn't want to have to bring in a big recruiting class then I, I figured bring in a, a larger recruiting class now it's very hard being an impactful freshman I think division one division two II, division three you know being a freshman is is a challenge in itself but um, we're excited for this group you know we we wouldn't be bringing in any of the 10 guys specifically if we didn't think that they couldn't help our program next year right off the bat so um, there's high expectations, but but at the same time, you know, I think it's I think it's really important. You mentor and and you don't throw freshmen into the deep end too quickly, or you know, you you want to build their confidence. So that uh, the Connecticut um, Spring College Cup, I know that's happening um, this year. There's a bunch of Division One and Division Two programs. Are you guys unable to do that? Be to participate in that as a D three program? Is that is that something that you guys are unable to do? As, as far as I'm aware, that uh, that is correct. Yeah. Um, I don't believe the NESCAC schools are, are playing any games this spring. As far as I'm aware, we are allowed to do um, our practices 
the equivalent to the rest of Division Three that we will do at the end of March and April, beginning of May. Um, beyond, unfortunately, uh, I don't think we'll be part of the Connecticut uh, Cup. That's what I was wondering. So is, is springtime kind of, um, are you reliant on the players to kind of manage their own training? And are you guys get to have much interaction with the players in the spring and, and oversee anything? Or is it really kind of on them to keep practicing? And yeah, in, in previous years, it was, it's, you know, that, that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, and again, I, you know, I go back to uh, coach Ken Murphy, who really kind of established a culture of self growth, discipline, putting in the work, even when no one's watching and, and really establishing to the players that, Hey, if you want to be one of the you know best teams, you have to have, a competitive driven mindset year round, not just when the coaches were there. So, so yeah, in previous years, NESCAC coaches were really hands off. I think we're all excited that we're allowed the 15, the 15 division three practices um, coming up, but yeah, we have, we have a great strength and conditioning coach Annalise Rios. So she is able to work with them um, time to time in the spring lifting and conditioning wise. And I think, I think we, one of the keys to our success this fall was we had a very fit team and, and we had a limited number of injuries. It'll be uh, new territory for the program going into the 2022 season with the label of defending national champs. Um, how excited are you guys for that journey of, of being the defending champions and, and defending that title? And um, what's kind of the mindset of the program right now is as you kind of are no longer the, the chasers. Now you're, you're kind of being chased. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely going to bring new challenges for sure. Um, I think one thing that we always talk about as a team is never too high, never too low. You always, you always focus, you know, the most important game is, is the next one in hand. You know, you never look, you never ever look past a game. So I think the mindset will continue to be one game at a time, focus on improvement. You know, we can we control, but one thing that we can control is is self-improvement and individually and collectively using the offseason, using the summer, using preseason to get better. And, and we have, you know, just like every team out there, we have strengths, we have weaknesses. Can you, can you make your strengths even better? Can you improve and mitigate the things that you weren't good at the past season? So, no, I think, I think we're embracing it. We're looking forward to trying to repeat. Um, but at the same time, we want to definitely not look too far down the road and focus on the things that we can control internally, leadership, core values, style of play, and, and, you know, start to prepare to give ourselves the best chance possible. Well, we'll certainly be watching. I'm, I'm already looking forward to the fall season. I, I miss, uh, I miss the, the college competition. So, um, hopefully I also wouldn't mind some better weather. So hopefully we're getting there, but, uh, Ruben, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and joining the podcast today. I think it was a, a great discussion, and I'm, I'm glad we were uh, we were finally finally able to get you on. This is this is great. 
Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, Matt. I don't do too many things like this, so <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity and it was great to chat with you. Thank you. You are a pro. You're like a veteran out there. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to Ruben Burke for joining the podcast and engaging in a fun and interesting conversation. To keep up with all things New England soccer, visit anysoccerjournal.com. We update the site with new stories daily. Click the subscribe tab to get the newest magazine edition mailed to your home or office. And follow us on Twitter at anysoccerjournal. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. The New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.